Getting loose. NASCAR news and talk on demand with Scoop and Dennis Neal at SoundCloud.com slash Scoop16 and on iTunes. We come up on one lap to go. Presented by Credit One Bank. Barney Visser actually had a heart attack prior to the Homestead Miami race and wasn't able to travel to Miami to celebrate that championship run by Martin Truex Jr. As we've mentioned, the playoff points so important in advancing from round to round to round in the playoffs. And of course, one driver is going to get to the championship round on points. More points going to Martin Truex Jr. as he wins in Kentucky. Getting loose, NASCAR news and talk on demand. It's me, Scoop, Scoop16 on SoundCloud, Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. My co-host, Dennis Neal of FS1 and Kentucky Speedway. Great racing photography on his Facebook page. And fresh from Kentucky Speedway and a Martin Truex Jr. win. I know you were there. Are you going to Eldora, Dennis? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> when are you headed it's there? right next door to home. I'll head up tomorrow morning. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're having some good racing tonight, but it's a big lot of modifieds. They have some practice times tonight for the guys in the trucks, but uh, I can pass on that. I've seen that before, so <laughs> I think I'll just save it for the big day. Well, let's start with maybe some of your thoughts and reflections on three days of racing at Kentucky Speedway. You saw Martin Truex Jr. get a win again. He won last year there. Won all the stages of the race, led 174 laps car got away from him a little bit there uh kind of rolled down the track there a little bit during the celebration which was kind of interesting uh now four wins on the season and kevin harvick and kyle bush have five those are the three guys that are uh i think it would be a shock for them not to be in the the championship ride there at homestead well barring you know any unforeseen natural disasters of any kind yeah you're correct they're going to be the top three to be in there now it all comes down to who's going to be seated number one number two number three and so on and who's going to be the regular season champion like martin truex won that last year i believe and he did that by amassing a massive amount of points uh, last year by winning a lot of stages well he got a little slow start this year as far as winning stages but you know he's starting to pick up steam now but I think it's going to be those three. And then the wild card, I'm not sure who it's going to be. There's a lot of good cars that are um, – I, I well, I'm talking about the fourth car at Homestead. Um, so you'll have 16 cars starting the race after Indianapolis, the chase. And um, you got Clint Boyer in, Austin Dillon's in, Joey Logano is in, uh, and Eric Jones. And so on top of those guys, you got your, your big three. I don't see – any of those other guys that are in there now being a huge potential threat. Clint Boyer probably the most credible one because he's got a team that's won two races and he's been staying pretty consistent. But we still got a long way to go. We got till Indianapolis in September to see who is going to win more races. Now, obviously, these three guys have been on a roll and they're winning everything in sight, but any given Sunday, anybody can win a race. So, um, we just have to wait and see what the final uh, countdown will be as who's going to be in the 16. And uh, then we'll go from there eliminating people as we go through the chase. That being said, uh, this past weekend probably gave us a good preview of what's going to happen. Mile and a half tracks. This is the last 
mile and a half track every race until the chase. And then you come to the chase, you got, uh, I think, Texas, uh, Homestead, obviously, at the end of the season, a mile and a half race, and Truex put a spanking on them there last year. Uh, but, you know, these guys have all got their mile and a half games down pat. And, you know, I think that uh, we're going to see a good chase. Now, this past weekend was a great weekend. Had a lot of a lot of fun going on. Um, and I think probably the coolest thing of all was Ben Rhodes winning at home. The truck race. Yes, the truck race. He uh, he won at home, did it convincingly. They, they had a good pitch strategy there. Came in for gas and didn't take tires. And, and uh, of course, you know, the... He's from Louisville, so 40 miles from the track. His family was there, all his friends, you know, and all that. And there up in the grandstands, we could watch him give up there, throw their beer cans up in the air and so on. And because we had him on our show two or three times afterwards, and, and he just, he was pumped up on Saturday morning. He was still just, you know, fist in the air, hammering it up and down. And it was pretty cool to see somebody win their home track race, you know. And it's only the second win in the series, but it also cements him into the Truck Series Championship race, too. Let's talk a little more about uh, the Monster Energy Cup Series race. Okay. Kyle Larson missed the driver introductions, forced to start at the back. An unusual thing to happen. I didn't know that was a rule. In spite of all that, finished ninth (laughs) in spite of track bar issues on top of that. So... Yeah, they, they couldn't get the track bar to go up and down. I thought he had a pretty good day uh, with regards to everything, uh, how he started out. Absolutely. And he said he's back here, and we, we could see him. You know, we were actually doing driver introductions, and he was back there just yapping to somebody. <laughs> it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> you know, yeah, he missed his uh, his driver introduction, and uh, he just lost track of time talking to his friends. And, and so, you know, he put on driving clinic to get through there. Then he had mishap with the track bar. And that, that might have made a little more interesting race because, uh, you know, Kyle likes to rim ride around tracks in Kentucky. And there were several turns that, you know, uh, coming out of four, you know, going out of two, he could, he could probably rim ride and made up some time. But when you can't adjust the track bar, it pretty much puts you out to lunch. But the race was actually pretty good. He got a little boring there with Martin just, you know, killing everybody on, on the runs. But it was very competitive back through the pack. And uh, track is finally starting to get a little bit of its temperament back. You know, it's been two years uh, since they had total repave. And um, they uh, started to widen the groove out. So I mean, they had the tire dragon machine in there. You know, I told Bruton up in the suites, you need to make a little die-cast toy of a, of a tire dragger and call it the tire dragon. Because that's what Dell Jr. was calling you on TV. The tire dragon, you know? And uh, so they, they kind of were receptive to that. They are like, hey, that's an idea. Because any, any way of making us money, they're going to try and do it, you know? Sure. But uh, it, it was... It was fun to watch, you know, and of course it was very, very hot. And, uh, you know, I think the the heat index was like 105 degrees around 6 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And uh, But it finally started cooling down when the sun went down. And, and um, you know, that's why they race at night at Kentucky, because if they had a day race, it'd be kind of like you don't have enough paramedics in Kentucky to take care of people in the grandstands. Well, one thing we could probably bet on is that the championship this year is going to go to a Ford or Toyota. And when you looked at uh, the finishing results from Kentucky, boy, there was a chunk of Chevrolets down at the bottom of the pack there, Dennis. You know, we were talking to um, um, Steve O'Donnell about this from from NASCAR. And also Alex Bowman, we were talking to him. He said, you know, it's not just the body on the Chevrolets. He said, there's a lot of little things you have to do under the body on the chassis and drive chain geometry uh rear and suspension front suspension you know things like that to make the car 
handle better with the aero packages on top of the car. You know, and obviously this is their first year with it, and, and they're trying to, you know, make this thing viable. But unfortunately right now, uh, everything that seems like you're trying, if you're Hendrick Motorsports, is not working. Now, that being said, Kyle Larson's got to make him look bad. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> he's, been, he's been competitive. You know, he's been really good. And, and he had track like, bar issues. He was the best Chevrolet on the day. Exactly, you know, and it was like, you know, what have they found to make him so much faster? Of course, Jamie McMurray's not doing as well, but I think that's just a driver talent difference there. And I'm sorry, Jamie, but, you know, that's what I believe. But, you know, I also think that probably has something to do with why Kyle's running better than Hendrick's cars because you got three guys that are kind of rookies. you got Chase Elliott, you got Alex Bowman, and William Byron, who's still trying to find their way around. Of course, Jimmy Johnson and Chad, I think they're the lead R&D car in this whole deal. But Kyle Larson is just one of those guys that comes along once in a lifetime to just head and shoulders above everybody else. Even in, even in terminal equipment, he can make it look good. So, you know, I think that's the reason why, one of the reasons why they're doing so well. But, you know, he still makes the other guys look pretty bad. Somebody who had a bad day, Alex Bowman. He had three straight top tens. Then he finishes mm-hmm. last at Kentucky. Ouch. Yeah, he, he he broke something, hit the wall, and just, you know, that was it. You know, he just in at Kentucky, like any other super speedway where you're doing 200 miles an hour going to the turns, and you, you blow a tire, or you break a suspension piece or something, and you hit the wall, you know, you're, you're done. And there's no fixing it because it will just literally tear all kinds of stuff up. You know, and so unfortunately for him but you know the bright spot is Alex Bowman had his 100th race which is pretty cool but you got William Byron his teammate you got Chase Elliott these young guys are starting to shine and kind of show their Wheaties not having been in cup cars before I'm talking about William Byron and, and, and Alex Bowman you know and, and good equipment Alex Bowman obviously has raced cup before but he's finally got some good equipment and I think that you'll see them start doing a whole lot more the next half of the season because they're finally getting into the meat of the season they've been these tracks before second time around I think that you'll see these guys probably have a little better year you mentioned William Byron here's a question for you Dennis who would you mm-hmm. predict winds up with the Rookie of the Year honors, William Byron or Bubba Wallace Jr.? Well, they're pretty close right about now. Uh, yes, they are. I like them both, but I think that William Byron's probably in better equipment and has a chance of having better finishes than Bubba. Bubba is excellent. He's a, he's the greatest thing coming along NASCAR in a long time. Love him to death. He's a great person. But I just think with the resources at Richard Petty Motorsports, it's going to prohibit him from having very good finishes. You know, and you can see it. It's the car qualifies fairly decent, you know, for someone that's underfunded team and all that, but when they get into the race, you, know, you still have the, 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 the motors, you don't have the chassis, you know, I mean, as far as getting them to the front and being able to compete with the other people. And um, I just think probably we end up seeing William Byron in, in the rookie year, rookie of the year cha- uh, championship. That said, Dennis, you know, with that entire backdrop, if Bubba were able to somehow get a win – or yes. maybe a couple of a couple more second place finishes, then maybe he gets the rookie of the year award. Well, yeah, if, if he can get a win, that absolutely pulls faults him up. You know, and the the, the first of all, I put him in chase. You know, but also pull vault him into uh, being up there in front of William Byron because if William doesn't get a win, that means a whole lot when you start talking about rookie year championships. It also depends on where he wins at. You know, uh, if he wins at Talladega, it's kind of a crapshoot. I don't think they throw any less weight on that for him, somebody winning there, if they do everybody else, every other track. 
before, you know, if he goes out there and just spanks somebody like at Richmond or, you know, someplace like that, you know, and puts a win in, you know, I don't know if the weight's different than, say, a Talladega kind of win. But I think that, you know, we're going to see probably William Byron be end up being the, uh, the rookie of the year. Let's look back because we haven't talked in a while. Kyle Busch won at Chicagoland and had a great mm-hmm. duel in that race with Kyle Larson for the win. And I, it seemed post-race that both of them enjoyed it. And I think as fans watching that race, everybody enjoyed that. Well, I enjoyed the heck out of it. You know, it reminds you of the old days. You know, these guys would, would beat and bang each other. Kind of like uh, Richard Petty and David Pearson in 76 at Daytona, you know. It was just one of those deals where, you know, there was no quarter given, but it wasn't done in animosity. It was just racing, you know. And, and both these guys, Kyle, Kyle Larson, was laughing. He said, I recovered and finished second. You know, I think that kind of shocked him to be able to do that. But, you know, I think it was good for the fans. I think it was good for the show. You know, when Kyle started unzipping his pants and walking by, oh, what's he going to do now? And he pulled that water bottle out of her ice bag and it's like, okay, that's good. But, you know, you never know what's going to come out of him. But it was, it was a fun race, you know, at the end there. And, and that's what fans pay to see. They want to see people battling out for a win. And at Daytona, I was excited to see Eric Jones get the win, even though he only led the last lap. And that was a nutty race with Ricky Stenhouse yeah. Jr. causing the big ones <laughs> and yeah. winning the first two stages. And getting the uh, uh, security escort away from the track, some some <laughs> yeah. folks, uh, drivers and crews, uh, obviously maybe a little frustrated that Ricky had caused a couple of those wrecks. Yeah, and then he carried it on in Kentucky this weekend by going and having a conversation with Kyle in the car, you know, and, and all that stuff. I think Ricky realized that. He got a taste of the chase last year, won you know restricted play races last year, and got out of the chase. And I think he knew that Daytona was his only chance. Daytona and Talladega. So you got three races before the chase. That's the only place that he has a chance of winning because the cars at Roush are still not as good as everybody else's. Uh, that being said, you know, you have to do everything you can. And as a driver, I'm my driver to do what he can to get in the chase, but you still want him to go out there and wrecking people. Some of the wrecks are like, you know, kind of, well, you know, people banging each other. We don't know what's going inside the cars. We don't know how loose they get. We don't know how much they change lanes on their own, and you can't help it. But, um, you know, I, I just think that uh, I remember Ernie Irvin. He used to call him Swerving Irvin back in the day, and he would just, just wreck everybody in sight. And, you know, um, they had to have a come-to-Jesus meeting one with him one day, and he had to go there and apologize to all the drivers and learn how to control himself. Well, he did well after that. I don't think Ricky wrecks a lot of people during the year. I think it's just his – desire to be able to get into the chase and knowing Daytona was his last chance uh, probably was making him behave like he did. But, you know, he's not really alone in that whole outlook philosophy. There's any number of drivers who probably go into Daytona and Talladega thinking the same thing. Hey, this is my chance to get into the championship, you know. Yeah, but the problem is he's won he's one of those races where a lot of other guys have it, you know, and he knows how to win there. He won both stages, you know. And so, you know, he's thinking, Hey, here it is, I I, I gotta do what I gotta do, you know, and, and of all the people that probably haven't won, he probably had the best shot at it if he could, you know, be aggressive and win, but obviously it didn't work out for him. What do you make of the attendance there? Dennis, that's an, an ongoing discussion, obviously, with the sport. But I was, I'm kind of worried when I see the numbers so far down uh, for attendance at a at Crown Jewel like Daytona. Well, you know, and, and I always say, well, a lot. 
that race has never sold out. It never has. It's just too hot, you know. And and, and people go to the Daytona 500 because it's midwinter. You know, everybody up north is tired of, you know, freezing and all that stuff like that. So, hey, let's go to Daytona. Let's go to the race. Have a couple days, a couple weeks on the beach or see some racing and, you know, do some fishing and whatever. And you get that winter breakup. You get that chance to take a little vacation and go somewhere where it's warm. You know, in July at Daytona, it's, it's about as brutal as Kentucky was this past weekend. And not a lot of people go to that race. They have taken a lot of seats out. You know, the grandstands are, it's a whole new atmosphere now down there than what it used to be. And I think that um, probably people are just like, I don't want to go sit in the heat. This is too hot. I'll just watch it on TV or not watch it at all. But we discussed this this weekend at the track. A lot of us were talking about, you know, and you and I have talked about it. You know, we don't know how many people are DVRing these things or watching them on their phone or watching them on their pad, you know, or on a laptop or whatever means they have besides being there. And so far, no one has come up with a way of tracking that to see how many people are really watching or listening. And I think that the only way NASCAR and TV companies can do this is to do the Nielsen tracking and stuff like that. And I think it's outdated and antiquated. I believe it's something that there's so many people have different forms of entertainment and different ways of having entertainment nowadays that's not conventional television or radio and stuff like that, that they're watching these things. I think they'd be surprised how many people are, are not going to the racetrack. Why should they? It's too hot. I stay home and watch some TV or DVR and watch it on Monday. But someone somewhere somewhere is watching these things because of all the digital media out there that people use nowadays. You know, and I kept reading, a lot of people say uh, that, well, the Firecracker 400 was always sold out back in the day. And really, the argument to counter that is everything you just said. Well, now mm -hmm. there's so many more entertainment options, mm -hmm. so many other things going on. We can watch the race on our phone in our yeah. air-conditioned home with a refrigerator yes. 15 feet <laughs> yeah. away and... Yeah, you yeah. know, that's at least a part of the, the attendance story there, without a well, question. Well, that's, that's a big part of it everywhere, you know. And, and on top of it, you know, it never was completely sold out. I remember watching it for years, you know, or being there. You know, and it's like, it's, it's 95 degrees here. People are not going to go to a race. And especially, you know, at, at one time, I believe they actually ran on the 4th of July yeah, all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and so this is a, the, the holidays, the midweek, people have to work all week, you know, and then they, they, they get Saturday off. Let's go to the beach. Why would I go to racetracks around the sun all day, you know, and they can go home and watch it on TV, DVR and so on. But I think there's a whole lot of medium out there is not being tracked that these people need to get a handle on. And probably some smart kid out there come up with an app to find out how to track cell phone use and, and tablet and pads and laptops and DVRs. And if you do that, you'll be a billionaire. A couple of things to wrap up. Chad Canow signs for two more years with Hendrick Motorsports. Mm -hmm. Given the yep. state of that team right now, there's no way they can let that guy go anywhere else. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. And I don't think he wants to go anywhere else. I, th I think two years, he and Jimmy both retire. I think it's Chad's the pinnacle of his career. You know, we had Kyle Petty. We were talking about that the other day. Just They won five championships in a row. Nobody's ever done that, you know, at a young age. And these guys are on top of the world. And I think when Chad, Chad's the kind of guy that likes to challenge, he likes to, to figure things out. And I'm talking not just figure out how to screw in a light bulb. He likes to figure out major challenges. And I think this Camaro is his golden chance to figure one last thing out and to make it the race car Chevrolet he thinks it can be. And I think once he accomplishes this, and maybe if him and Jimmy can win a championship, I think that he'll say, okay, boys, I've had a good run. I got a new baby, new wife, and all stuff like that. I'm going to take it easy and go get a boat and roll around Lake Norman for the rest of my life. 
And I want to give a shout out to uh, a guy we've interviewed on this podcast. Maybe it was six years ago. I'm thinking mm-hmm. Matt Weaver, when he was with Popular yeah. Speed, we had him on this podcast and did an interview with him. And he's writing for Auto Week right now. And last night, he was tweeting from Anderson, Indiana, the yeah. Red Bud yeah. 400. And right. th- the stuff he was tweeting last night is everything that you love NASCAR for. Right. Fights, there were arguments, they were, they were trading paint, they were rubbing fenders. Yeah. And it was everything that is perfect about racing, the Red Bud 400, to follow him at Matt Weaver AW. He was a great follow last night. The video, the pictures, the, the story of what was going on at the track, it was great fun. He's one of those young talents that um, covers a lot of stuff. And he's done Cub and IndyCar, and I've done the short track stuff this year, I believe, and at least a lot of them. And, you know, he's got a wit about him. He is smart, you know, and he's got that young perspective to look at stuff like that and have some fun with it and get it out of social media instead of having to wait for deadline time and write for his newspaper and then the editor. So you can't say that. You can't do this. He's able to get there and put the raw fun back into it and tell everybody what's going on. And, of course, you know, Anderson Speedway is one of the places, like, well, they have a little 500 there. You know, around 500 laps with little silver crown cars. You know, and that's a place that, one of the places where it's a quarter mile, high bank, boring, and all kinds of havoc happens there. And it's fun to watch. I'd be willing to bet he's headed to Eldora, hop, skipping a jump, just oh, yeah. as, uh, um, as you I'll, are. I'll probably see him tomorrow night. And, of course, my buddy Mojo Nixon will be there. And all the guys from PRN and Kenny Wallace will be there. And, you know, our group will all get back together and have some fun. And, Matt's a talent. He he started off with Mike Kalanoff, I believe. You know, with yeah. popularspeed.com. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, him and Kelly Crandall became some of the stars out of that, that deal. And, and uh, you know, it's fun to, to watch Matt. He loves racing, you know, and he's got a different perspective than other people. I almost forgot one thing I wanted to touch on before we get to uh, New Hampshire Motor Speedway was a story I found fascinating about the NASCAR teams possibly trying to confuse the laser inspection system with the light Mm -hmm. and dark colors of the paint and how it might throw off the optical scanner a little bit. And uh, Mm -hmm. ESPN.com has an article on it. And I was wondering what you were hearing about that while you were at the track this weekend. There's noticing an awful lot of dark details around wheel wells and skirts on the bottom of the cars and stuff like that. And, you know, optical visions systems, and, and of course, the industry I'm in, they use that a lot. They can be fooled a little bit with the grayscales, you know, that type of thing, and you really have to concentrate to look and be able to differentiate sometimes between areas that are like 3D. And I've said before, and I'll say it till the day I die, these are the brightest minds in, in the industry and in engineering to figure this stuff out in the NASCAR garage. And uh, that's, that's such a cool idea because it's like, so you read that, uh, I read, I'm like, wow. Wow, wow, wow. These guys will stop at nothing to be able to innovate, as you, as Jeff Hammond and I used to talk about. I called it cheating. He said, no, innovation. I said, okay, you're right. But that's these guys are the brightest and the best, you know, and it's fun to, to see these guys try to find a way to get around this system that's pretty much supposedly foolproof. I was hanging out with my dad over the weekend, and, and who came up in conversation <laughs> but Smokey Eunuch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Best damn garage in town. We was like Junior Johnson. We we were real good friends with him. And then one time he said, you know, so I used to love to come home on Monday and know NASCAR, put another page in the rule book because of something I did. 
<laughs> think about that statement right there, you know. Yeah. And, and, and every day, there's another Junior Johnson somewhere in that garage trying something. It's not just a page of the rule book they had now, too. They had big fines to them. But they've taken away a lot of the innovation to try to make everything equal. And back in the day, it was run what you brung sort of, and made the best team win, you know, as long as within certain parameters, engine sizes and roll cages being safe and stuff like that. But I think some of the, the the fun has been taken out of it, but, you know, still, these guys, if they find a thousandth of an inch, they'll take it, plus five more. And that's, that's how they operate. I'm going to have us pick uh, our winner for New Hampshire in a slightly different fashion this time around. Oh, okay. If you were going to pick... Uh, among the big three of Harvick, Bush, or Truex to win this race, which of those three would you pick? Well, it's a one-mile flat track, and I'm trying to think of some of the history for this year. Who's been very, very well? Um, of those three, I'm going to pick Martin Truex. Mojo's on his side right now. And it's his home track, more or less. You know, even I know Watkins Lens probably a home track to him, too. But that's the place he wants to shine. And he wants some big lobster claws to have for dinner, I think. Yeah, that uh, crustacean nation or whatever the hashtag is now. Or <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, yeah. I think I'm with you on that. Uh, Martin Truex Jr., that's who I would pick just because he's hot. He, you know, he seems to yeah. be ascending right now. But if. You had to pick somebody from the rest of the field. I'm kind of thinking Penske. I'm thinking, you know, Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano. Yeah, Brad was running okay. He he did some pit stop maneuvering this weekend to try and get out, get some track position. But Joey's went up there before. You know, he's, he's no stranger to New Hampshire as a as a winner. But I tell you, my pick, if it's not those guys, I like the way Clint Boyer's been running. And this is a flat track, like he's used to running out in the country, and he's ever you know Kansas, wherever he's from, or, or and you know just that short track feel that he's a master of. And this year, he's finally got the car under him. He's got a team under him that's going to make him, you know, become eligible to win these races. And that's kind of the track is right up his alley. Okay, so are you ultimately picking to win this race, Boyer or Truex Jr.? Truex, but my second pick would be Boyer. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Brad Keselowski to win this race. There you go. Yep, he needs to. Also, he needs to win. That's what I'm yeah, thinking. So Brad's got to do something to get in the chase, you know. And it's unusual for him to go this long without having a win. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens. You know. All right, KentuckySpeedway.com to yeah. find out what uh, is up at uh, the track there, and a great showing mm-hmm. for the Speedway this weekend. And by all accounts, the uh, a great time was had by all. I know David Streetman Jr., our friend of the podcast down there, right. took some great photographs. Uh, he yep. was tickled pink to get some time with Dale Earnhardt Jr., who yes. I, I'm enjoying uh, on television. What do you think about him? I love it. It's a fresh breath of air, him on TV. It's like a bunch of guys watching it on television, sitting there just talking to each other instead of this stiff broadcast. Nothing against the Fox guys, but this is just a whole new kind of thing. And, of course, the Dale Jr. got the slide job thing going on now and all stuff like that. He's excited to be there. It's almost like somebody going to their first race. Look at that, you know, and it's, it, but he has insight. Uh, we were talking to Steve Letard down there. He and Junior are freshest off the pit wall in the car. Junior was just there last year. He's relevant to what these cars are doing. Jeff Burton is probably next closest, you know. And uh, these guys have 
a handle on what these cars, these teams are doing right now because they just left it last year, a year before last. And, you know, Jeff Gordon's probably the closest one on the other side. You know, it's been two or three years since he's actually been in a car. So I think that the exuberance of Junior being like he is and enjoying what he's doing is pretty cool. And hopefully uh, NBC doesn't rake him in a little bit to try to be more professional. I think he's perfect just like he is. I think a lot of people are starting to see that and enjoying it too. All right, Dennis, let's go racing at Eldora, New Hampshire. Real quick, Dave Streetman, he and his mother were at the track, and she got to take a picture with her favorite driver, Kyle Busch, and Dave just revealed it that he loved it. So we'll leave it yeah, that. she looked like yeah. she was having a great time at the track. I, yeah, I got was. a big yeah, kick out of that. And, uh, yeah. you know, he shared some videos of the truck race. He got some great yeah, pictures. Yeah. Boy, yeah. I, I got to tell you, though, I was feeling bad for you guys when I, you know, knew it was like around 100 degrees. I'm figuring, man, it's got to be 115 down on that track. Well, when we were, our show was done at 6 o'clock on Saturday, we took the awning down, and it was from 6 o'clock to like 7.30. was the hottest part of the day. It was 105-degree heat index. And I walked from, you know, where we're at when we do the show, from there to Pitt Road, and I thought I was going to die. It was hot. You know, but I've been, we've been watering up all day and drinking Powerade and Gatorade just to, to keep, you know, hydrated. But just that little bit, you know, having been in the shade all day, it just really takes a toll on you. But, you know, we, we worked it out. We was all right. We got in and got some more refreshments and so on. But when it's hot, it's hot there. And it just, there's no place to hide. There's no shade. Yeah, yeah, it looked uh, like it might have been getting brutal, and I was thinking about you guys because, you know, I was hot where I was at, but I wasn't standing by a bunch of asphalt and concrete, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we, we're lucky, we're privileged. We have an air-conditioned media centers you go into and the press box up on top, and you grab your golf cart and you run upstairs instead of going through the tunnel and having to walk through all that. And it, it makes it nice to be able to do stuff like that. But, boy, you know, you, you look at the grandstands, probably half the people that were probably not in their seats were underneath the grandstands walking around just enjoying themselves, you know, when the race was going on. So looks are kind of deceiving sometimes in these tracks, but, you know, the heat, people were getting under there. There's a lot of shade under there. They put up multiple stations of um, hydration and, and and EMTs and people to help people that were having problems, and, and uh, it was good on the track to do that. Don't forget to look for Dennis on Sunday nights in WLW. Getting loose, NASCAR news and talk on demand. Thank you very much, Dennis. You got it, Rick. Take care. Getting loose, NASCAR news and talk on demand at soundcloud.com slash scoop16 and on iTunes.